The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, <clears throat> excuse me, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ indeed. Boy, it's something to think about what Jeremiah the prophet said this morning to us, that God's people are a lump of clay and God is always working on them, working on us as a church, working on us as individuals. That's a humbling thing. When you woke up this morning, did you think, well, God, I'm clay, get to work, but that's what the Word does, and today the Word comes to us in an entire book. I am so excited I get to preach on an entire book of the Bible in one sermon. The letter, the epistle of Paul to Philemon and the church in his house. On the surface, it seems pretty basic. There's a runaway slave named Onesimus who becomes a Christian and ministers to Paul while Paul is in prison. Paul says, you know what, I'm sending you back, back to your owner. And I want to help you because that's the right thing to do. And so there you go. There's the basics. Why is this letter in our New Testament? Did you even know it was there? Paul's letters are ordered in the New Testament for no other reason than by size, if you didn't know that. So Romans, First and Second Corinthians, it all goes from bigger to smaller. So Philemon is the last little letter in the New Testament. And of course, we're hearing Paul talk about someone who was a slave and someone who was a master, and they're both Christians. So, does Christianity condone slavery? After all, Paul doesn't come right out and say, hey, Philemon, you know slavery's wrong. Let him go. But let's see what's going on. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's go um, and do some teaching time today in this sermon. Put, your, put that kind of listening ear on. And let's see what's going on in this letter, because I think it's nothing short than revolutionary. It's nothing. It is radical. It is like the book of Acts says, you know, upsetting the world, turning the world upside down kind of stuff. All right, so the basics, a couple basic things about culture with this letter. Um, in Paul's day, you would not uh, just, it's an honor-shame culture. You would never just say to somebody, this is what you got to do, because that would be dishonoring that person. That would be an insult to them. Even if you know that you're right, you would just never come out and just say that. So, no, you would want to kind of come around, you know, 
circle around. Give the person some space to do the right thing so they can save face, so that they can do what's honorable and it not be forced upon them. So to force upon them, that would be a terribly dishonoring thing. And so you see that going on in this letter, although Paul says basically, I could command you, but I don't want to do that, so I'll give you the freedom even though I'm going to come and see you set up a guest house and I expect you to do more than I say. So Paul is um, rather assertive, but yet still giving space for Philemon. That's a part of the culture. That's a part of the tone of this letter. Now, what we've got here is bondservant. Um, Onesimus is called a bondservant, a slave, a slave. Now, um, what was slavery back in biblical days? So it's a lot different than what we've had in this country. In this country, um, we took a group of people from another continent of a different skin color and enslaved them here and um, treated, even officially called them less than human, etc. And so we've had the legacy of all of that these many years. Um, in biblical times, slavery slavery, but it was a little different. You would oftentimes find yourself sold into slavery because um, you had horrible debt and you couldn't get out of it, and that was the only solution, was to become a slave of a certain household. And you actually had some rights, and they, you got a meal, you got taken care of, whereas some servants got the tiniest little pay, and then they had to fend for themselves. So it's a little different, but it's still slavery. And so what do we do with this? But actually, when we look at what Paul says, we see um, something being overturned here. And I think it's really fascinating and really interesting, and I want you to really grapple with it with me. So, we're going to do that by looking at the titles of Philemon, of Onesimus, and Paul. We're going to look at what what Paul says. The title Paul gives to Philemon, the title he's, the words he uses to talk about Onesimus, and then even about himself. And I think as we look at these titles, we're going to start to have a light bulb come on, okay? So the first um, list, Philemon. What is Paul, well, what was he before he was a Christian? Well, we know his name means brotherly love, or um, it's got that root, Philadelphia, brotherly love city. So that's, it's got that root of brotherly love or friendship. So that's interesting, isn't it? And then he's a person of status. There's no question. He's a leader. He is a person of wealth. um, And he's a slave owner. That's what we know about Philemon, probably living in Colossae. So what do we hear Paul say about him now? Well, he's a fellow laborer. He's a fellow worker. Somebody that owns slaves, would they think about themselves as a laborer? Probably not. But now in Christ, he's a fellow laborer with Paul and, and others. He's called, Paul says, my brother. You are my brother. He's, he's, he, we've got that family term, which is like what? His name? So that's who you are. Um, but then he's also a servant of Paul. How, where does he say that? Well, he says, Onesimus has been serving me while I'm in prison. And I think I mentioned that, but if you didn't get that, Onesimus likely becomes a Christian and minister, through the Apostle Paul while Paul's in prison, and then 
you know, helps Paul in prison. In those days, if you didn't have people bringing you food into prison, you didn't eat. It's kind of like it was in Tijuana when I used to go there um, for mission trips. If you didn't have family to bring you food when you were in jail, you were out of luck. That's just the way it was. It's a little different. So, um, so Onesimus takes care of Paul, and so Paul says to Philemon, the slave owner, the powerful person, um, Onesimus has been serving me on your account. What does that make Philemon? A servant. So now Philemon has said, you're a servant. And then Paul says, and by the way, you owe me your very life. Now, isn't this crazy? Um, Onesimus, the slave, owes Paul evidently a lot. I'm sorry, owes Philemon a lot. And Onesimus, the slave, probably has incurred debt, uh, maybe even stole. We'll get to him in a minute. But um, he owes um, Philemon a lot. But then Paul turns around and says, you're also a debtor. You owe me your very life. Because through Paul, Philemon became a Christian. Wow, very interesting, isn't it? Look at how things, the titles are getting switched around here. Okay, let's go to Paul. Um, he's, if you didn't know, Paul was very educated, a zealous for the law, persecutor of Christians before he became a Christian, um, before Christ came and spoke to him on the road to Damascus, and he was a student of the Rabbi Gamaliel. Um, so this guy was top-notch, very educated. He was a Roman citizen as well as very high up in the Jewish power hierarchy, I guess you could say. Um, so he was a Pharisee. Um, quite a lot of stature. And then once he becomes a Christian, usually when he introduces himself in his letters, he says, Paul, an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? Well, that's somebody is like this with Jesus, okay? So that's pretty, that's pretty big. He doesn't say that in this letter. He says, Paul, he's a persecu persecuted and a prisoner. That's, what, that's Paul's authority. I'm in jail, now, that's where Onesimus would be if Onesimus goes back and Philemon does what he could do under law, throw him in prison. But Paul says, you know, that's where I am, Philemon. And I'm an old man, and he says he's the father of Onesimus and the brother of Philemon. So he says Philemon is his brother, but also he is Onesimus' father. Okay, let's see. So that would make, I always get these family relation things all mixed up. Some of you with your genealogy, that's like hats off to you. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I just, my brain doesn't work. But let's just think about this. So if Paul is Onesimus' father and Philemon is a brother to Paul, what does that make Philemon and Onesimus? It would be like his uncle right? Do I get this right? Okay. Woo! Not, not your slave, but your nephew in the faith? Interesting. What's going on here? What's the gospel doing to these relationships? Okay, one more. Let's do Onesimus. So, his name, interestingly, means useful. That's what the name means in Greek. Um, he was formerly useless, according to Paul. He was a slave. He was a runaway. He's in trouble. He had wronged Philemon by leaving, but perhaps he even stole. We don't know. 
Maybe he needed to take some things to survive and get where he, he went. Um, I don't know. But now in Christ, he's a child of Paul. That's pretty important. Now he's useful. Now he's like his name again, just like Philemon was. And then he says he is Paul's very heart. Now, this is crazy. He's ve Paul's very heart. He's like equated with Paul now. So Philemon, whatever you do to Onesimus, you're doing to me. He's my very heart. And he's a servant. He's also called a servant, just like Philemon is implied as a servant. He's called a beloved brother, an agape brother to Philemon. So now he's his nephew, he's his brother. My goodness, what's going on? And then this amazing phrase, he's not just your brother spiritually, because we could do this thing where in Christ, yeah, he's spiritually, your, he's spiritually your brother, but, you know, in the real world, he's your slave. But he doesn't say that. He says both spiritually and in the flesh, he's your brother. What is going on? What is the gospel doing? How does the gospel work here? And then now let's look at their shared terms. Philemon, Paul, and Onesimus are all called brothers. They're all called servants. They are all called partners. And then this last one, which is so cool, let's put the verse up here. Um, he, Paul says, yes, brother, speaking to Philemon, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, the word benefit there um, is actually usefulness. Does that sound familiar? Let's go to the next. And um, so, the Greek word, you can see Onesimus in there, onenemai, um, it's it means useful, have benefit of. So in essence, you see what he's saying to Philemon? Look, I want some Onesimus out of you. I want some Onesimus out of you. So now we've got brother and brother. And useful, helpful to the benefit of. This is what happens in the gospel. We are, there's, we are made one. We are one in Christ. We are fellow workers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what the gospel does. What's the gospel? Just probably need to remind us that the gospel is that we all 100% do not deserve God's mercy, do not to get to deserve to be in the family of God. We've sinned, we have messed up, and we have been brought in, however, by pure and 100% grace of God in Jesus Christ. Not one of us here today can say, well, I did a little better than this other person over here, and so I got in, you know, on only 10% of grace. Well, they needed 90%. You know, I got in, I was about 50-50, you know, I did really good, 50%, but, you know, I needed the other 50% of God's grace. No, that's not the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith, not through works lest anyone boast. So you got, we've got nothing to boast on. Not one person here can say, because I'm, I'm Northern European descent, or I'm African descent, or I'm uh, from this side of the railroad tracks, so to speak, or I have this family background, or whatever things we want to chalk up, all laid aside. They don't do a thing. We are all brought in through the pure mercy of Christ. 
So now we get to celebrate all those unique things about who we are, but they're not our way in. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. And once you get that, then look what starts to happen. You start, it starts to leak out and flow out to your relationships. Wow, if, I'm, if I've got a brother in Christ, how can I own someone? I mean, the church has, Christians throughout history have often missed this, had a total blind spot to this. Paul is, doesn't come out to Philemon and say, slavery is wrong. But if you take what we saw and how the, these titles are all flipped around and they're all put together, then you, then you go, how can I own someone who's my brother in Christ? How could I treat them horribly? You know, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't work. See, that's the way the gospel works. You've got the world of law and order and policies and governments and rules, etc. You've got that world, and then you've got the, the world of Christ, the right-hand kingdom, as Luther would say. And, but this right-hand kingdom, when it starts to take over and change you, then you move out into this world, and you look around, and you see some of these divisions, and you go, this is wrong. This doesn't work. This is incompatible with my faith. And I can tell you that after 300 years, we don't have time. I, I, I should have told you I'm going long today. Um, but but um, eventually, Rome gets rid of the gladiators once it becomes more Christian. And you can make a strong case that the more Christian it became, the less um, slavery started to die out as well. We know in this country, the abolitionist movement and throughout the world was driven largely by Christians, even while there were Christians who owned slaves. Blind spots. But if we take heart, if we read this letter of Philemon and we take it to heart, we go, wow, this is amazing how it's going to affect how I'm going to live in the world. Okay, now that's really cool. What does it mean for us? How do we do this? Well, I don't know. If you see people being belittled, ridiculed, demeaned because of their skin color or because of their background or the way they dress or I don't know, whatever it might be, as a Christian, you're like, that doesn't work. I'm going to get alongside that person. Uh, some, I don't know exactly how you might do that. Maybe it means on Sunday morning seeing somebody that no one else is talking to you, talking to, and you go and talk to them. That you take the risk of getting out of your safe zone of the people you know and going and saying, hey, hi, I'm Bill. How long have you worshipped here? Well, I've been here my whole life. Oh, cool, that's exciting. Oh, this is my first Sunday. Oh, wow, I'm so glad to talk to you. It's really great to have you here. Or maybe somebody that's got some tears in their eyes that Sunday. You know, I don't know what it might be. But if we get how the gospel works, this is what happens. All right. Little story to bring us home. When I was in Ethiopia, Gamentius Buba, who I went with there, um, above his door in his office is a picture of an Ethiopian man. His name is Onesimus Nesib. Back in the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, um, Onesimus, this Ethiopian man, as he was just a kid, had, by the time he was 13, I believe, or 14, had already been sold like four times into slavery by different tribes and different 
people coming in, and his father died young. So lots of slavery was practiced there, and, um, and so that was his life. It's interesting, though, his Ethiopian name means translator, which is interesting. But anyway, you'll see why in a minute. So, however, and again, it's a long story, but I'm condensing it down, um, some Swedish missionaries who wanted to bring the gospel to Ethiopia, especially like they were Lutheran, they wanted people to hear that you're saved by grace through faith, that you're justified by grace through faith, not by your works. They wanted this Protestant, incredible, revolutionary word to go out to all the world. Ethiopia was Christian from the very beginning in the Orthodox tradition, but they wanted, you know, these Swedish missionaries wanted to go and bring the gospel, and so they went to Ethiopia, and they were there, and I'm not sure whether it was a French consulate or, um, I know it was in teamwork with the Swedish missionaries, but they were impressed with Onesimus, and they bought him and freed him. Because, you know, they actually read Philemon and they said, wait, slavery doesn't work in my, with my faith. And so they freed him. They sent him back to Sweden. He became a Christian. He changed his name to, you guessed it, Onesimus, to connect with this story. Very educated, very apt and able, and he tried to get back. He wanted to go back and preach the gospel to his Oromo people. There are lots of tribes in Ethiopia, so to preach the gospel to his Oromo people, and it was just so hard. He couldn't get back in, and the travel was incredible, and it's an amazing story. I can't believe his endurance, but he finally was there um, and right on the border to get back into Ethiopia, but they wouldn't let him in. So you know what he did? Having been, grown up in the Oromo tribe, he knew Oromo, the Oromo language, and now he's learned the Bible, and he decides, I'm going to translate the Bible into Oromo. That sounds something like, a little bit like Martin Luther. When he was stuck in the Wartburg Castle, what did he do? I'm going to do a Bible translation. Well, Onesimus did the same thing, and he was aided. Sometimes people miss this, but Astergano, um, she was a freed slave as well. She really knew the Oromo language, and she assisted him in making that translation with all the idioms and everything. And finally, Onesimus was allowed to go back in and preach the gospel, and now their estimates are eight to nine million Lutheran Christians in Ethiopia. Why? Because some Swedish Christian missionaries took to heart the letter you just heard today. May we take it to heart as well. Amen.